Welcome to Let's Talk Shop, a podcast filled with business stories and practical advice for the product-based entrepreneur. My name is Therese and I help small business owners grow their wholesale. I hope that the stories and advice shared on this podcast will inspire action and help you build your business. You're listening to Season 2, Episode 2. Welcome back! I am so sorry I couldn't be with you guys last week to do the introductions. My voice is slowly coming back, you'll probably hear it crackling a little bit, so I'm sorry about that. But hey, that's the uh, challenges of running your own small business, I suppose. You make a plan and it doesn't always go as you thought it would. So yeah, I think that it was great my husband was able to step in and do the introductions last week but that also meant I didn't get a chance to come on here and kind of chat about what's coming for season two. So for season two I wanted to do a few more interviews in person. I find that it's brilliant when I can do that because it's so nice to actually see the person that you're talking to. So I'm trying to do more and more of that. This week I've been chatting to Earl of East, so Nico and Paul and uh, I visit their studio in East London in Hackney. And so you will hear background noises and you will hear glass hitting each other and, and things in the background. But I hope that you will still enjoy the episode. Eloise is a lifestyle brand who started out on a market store and they now have three lifestyle stores in London. One is their original workshop in East London, then one in Colts. Drops Yard and they just opened a pop-up in Islington that will be there until January. So go and check them out and I hope that you really enjoy this episode. I would love for you to share this episode over on Instagram. If you do, remember to tag me. I'm at small underscore business underscore collaborative. And this week we also have a giveaway. So Paul and Nico has just published a book. If you want to get your hands on their book then do share the episode and if you want an extra entry you can also leave a review and send me a screenshot. Their book is really beautiful and you have a week to enter. I love seeing where you're tuning in so thank you so much in advance for sharing and I hope that you enjoy this episode. It's rather long. I really hope that you enjoy it. Thank you. And welcome, Nico and Paul, to Let's Talk Shop. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I'm really excited to be in your studio. It smells amazing here. Thank you. I thought if we can start with you guys introducing yourselves, and maybe if you want to go first, Paul. Uh, yeah, so I'm Paul. I'm one of the co-founders of Earl of East. I, um, previously to this, worked in media, so I worked in a sales function. The last company I worked for was in the AI world. So uh, working with publishers to monetize their image real estate. So very different to what I'm doing now. And I guess Nico and I are partners in everything. So we're married as well as having a business together. And we started the business just as a way to have a creative outlet. It was never necessarily meant to become a business that just happened along the way. That's really nice. And what was your background? I, I, I moved to London about nine years ago and I came to do my master's um, and then I stayed, but I stayed because I got a job 
and I work in creative agencies. So the last place I used to work for for the last two and a half years before going full time Earl um, was A and V BBDO. So I used to work there as a producer, and as Paul said, we picked this hobby now turned business up about four and a half five years ago when we just decided that we needed a bit more in life than just enjoying all the restaurants, coffee shops, and pubs in in our favorite spot in uh, London. So why did you decide on candles? Um, we So we actually started without having our own line. So we wanted to have a creative outlet. We actually started with a market stall selling things we loved. Scent was really integral to that. So we actually started and had like three um, things, which were cacti, candles and curiosities. So it was mid-century ceramics that we would collect every time we went home or to Nico's hometown in Germany. Candles, because they were scent-based products, but it was actually like candles, bath salts, soaps, um, because they were items we loved and we felt they were accessible. And then cacti or plants, again, just things we had in our own home. And we really saw the niche for homeware at that point, because I think markets are a great way to start a business. But back then, like five years ago, there was a lot of clothing and there was a lot of really good food startups. But there wasn't really a lot of kind of homeware at that point, particularly on Nettle Market or Broadway Market. And so when we were looking for something to do, we wanted to have something that was a little bit different. That was basically how we started. We did a one-off market stall and that one-off market stall went well. A person who's now quite a good friend of ours came halfway through the day and pretty much bought up the whole market stall, which was a nice confidence boost. Yeah. That's so nice. Uh, and yeah, and so then it went from being a one-off to us booking it again, and it quite quickly became a regular fixture in our weekends. And I think the reason why we then launched a candle versus other products as our own brand is, um, you know, we were part of a creative market. We had ceramicists, le- leather good makers, um, glass makers, all kinds of different jewelers, all kinds of different craftspeople, and we. We're obviously at that point selling quite a lot of fragranced items anyway. And because it was something we were really passionate about, we just felt that that was our product. And so we spent six months and then launched our own line the following summer. So in the summer of 2015. And what, what, how did you learn how to make candles? Um, I think we, um, we did a lot of, you know, uh, we invested mostly time and money into what would become our our passion and what turned now into the business we did workshops we did a lot of youtubing and we dedicated every evening of our working week to candle making um we would experiment we would sometimes be successful with it other times it was a bit of a disaster but i think the the reason why we kept on going back to it and why we kept on you know playing around and being creative with um essential and fragrance oils was that at that point we didn't have necessarily in mind that this will become one day our business and will employ us and 14 other people. It was more, again, that element of fun of finding something else to do outside of enjoying the neighborhood for what it is and become an actual part of it. So that made us go back to it again and again and again. And I think we used it also as a way to, you know, find out more about another and become that couple that we are today, I guess, and the partnership we have. So we used scent also for that, and and that was pretty much also part of the, that journey. That's amazing because how do you develop the new fragrance? Then is that together? Mm. So for the most part, 
all of our scents are inspired by travel and memory. So whenever we will go somewhere um, that we fall in love with, we will usually come back and want to go back to that place again. So because that is not viable, we usually <laughs> will sit down and write a creative brief. So that's probably our marketing background yeah. filtering into this business. But we will sit down and write a brief, and which were quite abstract because, you know, we've not been to any perfume schools in grass. So we are, we, we, we're self-taught. But we, we're quite abstract with our approach, write down what it is we want to achieve and how we want that something to make us feel and um, when we smell it or when we light candle. And then we start blending. And that is often something that we do together, usually on an evening uh, mm-hmm. when we come back into the studio. Um, and that can take up to six months, you know, to figure out a blend that we're happy with. Because it's one thing for Paul to be happy with something or for me to be happy with something, but for both of us to be yeah. happy and then for um, also everyone else to like it as well. Yeah. Um, so it's a longer journey, but that's kind of kind of what the process is. Yeah, because fragrance is a, a scent can be very different when you smell it and you smell it. Yeah. I think we've both got quite a similar approach to scent and our scents we like anyway. A lot of our line tends to have quite a woody base. So yeah, I think that's that's the interesting thing with like the workshop part of our business is that scent is so subjective. So whilst we host workshops, and I think a lot of other business people have been like, you're crazy, because it must just be full of other people wanting to start their own candle brand. And I think there's a big part of that, for sure. <laughs> and I know there's quite a few candle brands that have started as a result. Yeah. But I think, A, there's two things. Starting a business is quite easy. Keeping it going and scaling it is quite difficult. But also when it comes to scent, it's so so emotive. So everyone has a different take on fragrance. Yeah. So when it comes to workshops, we know that a lot of people come to our classes with the intention of starting something. And I often, when I'm teaching a class, will ask people outright mm-hmm. because I'd far prefer that than the note takers under the table or the people who disappear to the toilet for a minute and then you <laughs> realise they're actually trying to look around your studio, which happens. <laughs> really? 100%. You know, <laughs> There's a lot of people who come and I think um, uh, a friend of ours who's got an independent store said like when buyers come to the store, they think that they're invisible, but really they walk in like they're wearing a paper bag on their head. Yeah. And it's kind of, <laughs> and it's, you, could, you know, you spot yeah. them a mile off with their phones out and we have that in the stores, but I think with workshops you can tell. And I think I'd rather have a conversation about like, that and how that works and, and they could get so much more out of it 100%. if they do that because you're very much about you know community yeah. and it's not usually that they want to go and create exactly what you created yeah. yeah no they have their own i think what's been so nice is down the road like some of the people who've done workshops with us have launched their own thing we've had a few people who've sent them and and often those are the people i think who are really transparent because what they're creating is unique to them yeah there is on the flip side times where things feel a bit too close but you know i suppose we've signed up for that by having an open workshop and by inviting people into our space and i think when it comes to that for for me it's kind of like that's always going to happen and i know in i know um in the olden days it was kind of like imitations of the 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 nicest bit of flat it's like really flattering I don't necessarily agree with that nowadays. Yeah. I think that that's not necessarily the case because it, you know, everyone should be on their own path. Yeah. But I think um, if you're imitating other people, you're always following them, and that's great for as long as they're doing something that you want to do. But what happens if they 
go in a different direction or what happens if they stop? What are you left with? And I think that the consumers has become much more clever. Totally. You know, they can see that because they want to buy into the story yeah. and the community of a brand yeah. much more totally. than before. Totally. And I think buyers also. So what's been really nice is on occasion when it's happened, buyers will get in touch with us or, you know, buyers when it comes to independent stores, they're the store owner, the everything. And mm-hmm. I think we pride ourselves on having relatively good relationships. And I think, you know, you'll get people being like, oh, by the way, just so you know, this brand's been in touch and they're similar to you, but they're undercutting you or they're, they're doing and That's great because then at least you can go back and be like, I get it, it's fine from a price perspective. Mm. Or, you know, I think generally a buyer will be like, well, I already work with this brand and it works for me. Yeah. So I'm going to stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think um, what I wanted to add to what you just said about, you know, the consumer being more aware and cleverer than I think they've been previously. Um, I think that is something which we always see in the workshops as, as well. And what I really love about hosting workshops is that people will will come, will learn about the craft, your journey and everything they want to learn. But they will also ask you sometimes questions that I personally had never thought about. So it will kind of inspire me to think about what it is we use and how we use it and what it means to not just me. And that I remember four years ago when we started with those workshops, we would get so many more questions that I didn't have an a straight answer to. Yeah. But I think by having that, you know, very open dialogue which comes with hosting the workshops and opening up our doors, we as a you know, as a business, as humans, as people, we just become so much better because, you know, they ask you questions and you'll have to go and find your answers. And ultimately you carry that knowledge and pass it on. I think it's 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 such a good coexistence that, that workshop scenario. Yeah, and I guess because you get to meet, actually meet your customers if you have new products or new scents or anything, you can learn so much by just having the feedback of actual people that are interested. Yeah, and that's the same with having the physical retail stores. Like, you know, we have a a team in King's Cross, but I make make sure that most weekends I'm in King's Cross working there and being on the shop floor and speaking to customers and Nico will be doing the workshops in Hackney. So mm. we're still like, we've got a much bigger team now, but we still want to really be involved in that interaction with the customer because it shapes how we, you know, it, it gives us instant feedback, granted, particularly with the candles. They smell and they have a response. But also we're able to share that story in a way that, you know, newer people on the team maybe can't. And I think, um, you know, for us, I think... Yeah, we started with candles, but we've always seen ourselves as being much broader than that. So we've always seen ourselves as being a creative business. Mm. And I think that in terms of a product has been candle-centric, but now we're launching bath and body products. I think we have ambitions. Well, I know we have ambitions to launch products in lots of different verticals. And I think, you know, that'll come in time. There's no hurry to do it. There's no that fixed agenda that we have to release things every season because we're not a seasonal business. Mm. But I also think that when it comes to retail, um, you know, the whole thing for us is about experience. So that that workshops in our stores, that's people really be, being able to feel like they're welcome. That's workshops in our studio, allowing people into the kind of behind the scenes part of our world. That's writing a book on candle making. So I think there's a product, but as a business, we see ourselves as being much broader than that. Yeah, that's so exciting. And 
how how did the book come about? Because that's mm. really exciting. It just launched this autumn, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, it, it, it's super cool. Um, we I think again when we started, I think the last thing we had in our head is that one day we're going to write a book about how to make a candle. So Tara, who is our editor from Octopus, she came as a workshop attendee. And a couple of weeks after her workshop, she got in touch and said that she liked it so much, she wants to turn it into a book. And we're like, yeah, right. As if, <laughs> as if somebody would like to turn this into a book. And I think at first we're like, what do I, what, what do I even do with this email? Um, and then we met Tara. We had a couple of meetings. Um, we laid it all out and we decided to go for it. And I think it really has allowed us to kind of summarize our journey over the last five years. And put it all into that book, you know, while doing so, also work with really amazing and talented people that we always wanted to work with, like um, Anna and Tam, um, yeah. who we work with for the photography and um, the styling. So it kind of, I don't know, it came like it's such a great yeah. time of the business. It was so cool that you got in touch. And as I said, we, we didn't. And yeah. had you not had the workshops, that might have never happened. No, I don't think, I don't think that that would have happened. And, and you know, like, I think we were we actually had spoken about books but probably not thought about it just being focused on the workshop but I think that was the nicest thing to, you know if I'd like to think maybe we get to do it again one day but it's been so nice as an experience to like Nico said mark that first five years mm. actually have a physical manifestation of what that, that five years has meant to us it was shot in the studio before we refitted it the rest of it was shot at home so it's a really personal book to us so nice. And we loved it. And and even better, it made an Amazon bestseller list. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. <laughs> That's not that the is category. so exciting. And <laughs> yeah. yeah. um, do you know what retailers stock it? Do, you, uh, do they tell you? So a lot of our stockists have asked us, and then the way the way it works, we're not a registered bookseller. Yeah. So it wouldn't make any sense for us to fulfill that. Yeah, so it we goes by the yeah. We pass them on to the publisher, and the publisher sort that. So. Quite a few of our stockists have taken it on. I think it's also just being released in the US, which is like cool. And maybe, you know, because you have stockists in Japan and yeah. stuff, they, because Octopus is a yeah. big company, maybe yeah. they will sell rights to, or publish it themselves yeah. abroad. Yeah, so I'm, I'm hoping that that would happen. I think like Japan's been really interesting. It'd be such us. a cool thing to yeah. get a copy of your book in Japanese, yeah. <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. Um, I am well I work in publishing and you know when we saw some of the books from the foreign rights team yeah you'd see them I'm Swedish so you'd see like the same book on bread or something in Japanese and German in Swedish it's kind of cool yeah and it's been it's been really lovely and I think you know a lot of craft makers in the past five or six years have have created books and Mm. I think that's amazing because I think it's really good for that industry and I think it's also really good that consumers are really interested in craft again but I think um the whole process was just lovely like we didn't obviously we'd never written anything of any length other than an email together but we loved the process <laughs> yeah. we, it was so we were also writing it whilst opening the shop in cold drops which is, was a huge undertaking yeah and so we felt like we were quite far behind all the time but actually it was so nice it was a really nice way to get away from that and focus quite structured too i guess because you would have had times that you had to submit things yeah yeah we had to submit on the first of january so christmas last year between christmas and new year was a lot of kind of 
yeah, it, it was really lovely. It was yeah, it was a really good experience. And now, when you do bath products and stuff, there is all actually already things that you could talk about. Yeah, we have got definitely got other ideas. So you never know. I'd like to think I, I don't know if we never get to do it again. It's just been so pleasant, and it's so nice to have that. And I think it means something to have this physical thing. Yeah. And it's so nice when you see people buy it. But I think if we get to do it again, that would be incredible too. So I think know. the um, last weekend I had a I had a workshop in a hacking space, and one of the ladies said that how cool it is that you've written a book that even if people in a totally different market pick this book up, not having a clue about early East and who you guys are, but in their mind, it, it you know create it, it positions you as like a thought leader in that as yeah. an expert in the world of candles. I was like, oh yeah, I've never actually thought about yeah. it that way. But it's so, again, you know, coming back to those workshops and welcoming people in, that dialogue, sometimes it's just exactly what you need and on the end of a Saturday when you feel, like, broken and somebody goes, like, <laughs> yeah. you've achieved something really amazing. And it's like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it makes you really reflect, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. And the book in general, the whole process, must have been a massive reflection yeah. on what you've done. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Have you done more than you thought you you know, when you sat down to write the book, did you realise how much you fitted into the last five years? I think what was what was cool for me, I think what I realised while writing is how much we learned um, over the last five years. Because, you know, you reach a point in your life and you're like, yeah, I know it all by now. <laughs> I've, I, I know who I am as a person. I know what, you know, what my professional self does and who, who that is. But having something on the side which kind of allows you to learn many more skills and also just develop as a as a person i remember the first ever market store we did i did want to talk to people i was like it's not my first language i'm gonna <laughs> i'm gonna sound like an like an idiot i'm not yeah. gonna talk and now i can't stop um, <laughs> so i think like to me i just realized how much we've learned over the last five years yeah. um, and that was just amazing yeah i think also because of workshops and events and talks and things we do we speak about our story a lot and it becomes uh, you know, a, a, a dialogue, but I think actually sitting back and going, oh, well, we went from this point to this point, and then we did this, and this amount of stockists, and you kind of go, oh, that's cool, yeah, and I, and I think the book also was quite good in terms of our transition, so the one thing we promised ourselves, we opened cold drops, and we were like, when we open that second store, we might have to leave work, because it's going to be really full on, like, you know, I think we got past Christmas, and then we thought, it was fine, and we could carry on doing both. And obviously, the the team when we opened Cold Drops went from like five of us to fifteen, and so it became a different job. And I think that's the thing with having your own business; like, it never gets boring. Because I was it's always so changing. yeah, I was so surprised when you told me that you were yeah. st- when we talked. Yeah, you were still in employment. Yeah, <laughs> I was very surprised to that. Yeah, and I think you know what we both loved our jobs, and I miss people I worked with more more than the day to day but I think we were yeah I think we were kind of like reluctant to leave for a few reasons partly like we've grown because we've always been able to reinvest everything to keep that growth going and I think we were scared about what it would be like if we weren't in it and there's a tipping point where all of a sudden you're like well not being in it is affecting the business more than us taking a salary would yeah and, (laughs) and, and, and I think but also you know 
describe it. I think we, we just figured that we would continue and we would be fine. And I think this year it started to get to a point where we felt more like colleagues than like a couple. We never had time off and we weren't in the business. We weren't with the people that are part of the team and that are in the day-to-day. And I think that became more and more important. But the book meant that we had this, like, the book's going to come out in September. And unlike everything else we do, like opening cold drops where... We take a day off to open it, and then that's it. We go back to work. Let's actually enjoy this. Yeah. And, you know, let's try and do workshops with our stockists, and let's try and make something of this book release, because we might never get to do it again. And I, and I think that was probably the one thing that when we opened the Cold Drop store, we felt like we weren't, we didn't get to appreciate it, and it was amazing, but we were just, like, always on the periphery, just trying to hold it all together. So I think the book was really good in that sense, because we promised ourselves we would beginning full-time by then and it forced our hand yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so how have you found working in the, because you you started working in the business but full-time yes. first yes first I was three months ahead of Paul joining so <laughs> it was quite funny because when Paul joined he went through every phase that I went through but Paul is quite vocal about it so I was like oh yeah I remember so basically <laughs> it's quite interesting because I've I loved my job. I loved working in an agency environment. I loved being at my desk. Now that I'm not at it, I loved it. When I used to be at my desk, I hated it. But I think number one is getting used to, you know, or yeah, getting used to this new reality. The fact that work doesn't mean you're behind a screen for eight hours in a desk environment, in an office environment. Work means hosting a workshop over lunchtime with WeWork or, or it means having meetings in Coldrop's Yard with partners at two o'clock that you don't always get to do your email work. That was quite difficult for me. I think I'm still getting used to it. I'm almost 90% there. And I think the idea that, you know, we would start working less, not true. <laughs> no. Not true, but we get to enjoy every little bit of it. I We don't have to rush things. If we have to rush things, it's because we delayed it. But we're not forced to rush it. We can enjoy things, which is the nice thing about it, I feel. And what else has changed that I'm still getting used to? I think also, as Paul said, like being in it and being part of this team now, not of my old team. And being not just part of the team, being like the boss, which I still find weird. Strange. (laughs) We'll get there. I think the whole idea of not working, because obviously myself like I'm not always in front of the computer I'm with clients and stuff and then I feel like I almost have to catch up because I haven't done my eight hours in front of a computer screen that has been a big adjustment I I think there's a lot of guilt with being a a person who has their own business you always feel guilty about something guilty (laughs) because I'm not in front of my desk and I feel guilty because I'm not on the shop floor enough I think there's always a reason why you feel like you're catching up and someone said to me that you know, I can't, it was a while ago and someone basically said, you know, everyone thinks I'm living the dream life because I work for myself. I actually work every waking minute to not work nine till five. Yeah. And and I think that that was quite interesting. It's always, it's always stuck with me because I think that's so true. Like, you know, there would, there have been days in this first six weeks of being in the business full time where we haven't been in either of the locations and I'm like, oh my God, we've not worked today. And he goes like, we were working that night all day and now we're in the shop out of hours refitting we are working and I'm like oh 
yeah, okay. I think it's also that reset that, you know, everything we used to do for this business was outside of work and hours. So we would always just like squeeze in two hours here and four hours there and lunch break there. And now what we used to be to do outside of work and hours has become work. So I think it takes a minute for your brain to realize it as such and be like, no, no, you're doing work and it's okay. Just, yeah. <laughs> you are working you just have to like but you know ne- brain never switches off mm. either so even if you're not kind of working working even if you're just about to fall asleep you're still kind of thinking about the business yeah, yeah. and you never realize that when you work for someone else no. i think yeah no you don't i think you can kind of like everything is different when it, when it's, there's a lot more i don't know you wear a lot more hats which i i actually really like yeah but yeah you constantly thinking about it and I, think, I don't know if there's ever going to be a point where we truly allow ourselves to have actual time off I think um, you have to yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I remember when uh, Paul joined for the first week he booked in so many meetings because he thought he had so much time again and then we couldn't make half of them but I did exactly the same in my first week I was like oh my god because um, I felt exactly the same in my first week I booked everyone in because I was like I've got eight hours in this business now. I can meet everyone who I haven't met over the last few months. And then I had to cancel them little by little. So it's quite funny. It's like that adjustment of, of time, of what it is you do. But as you say, you can't run away from it or like stop thinking about it. But I guess that's why you start your own thing because you enjoy it so much. Yeah. yeah. It also doesn't feel like work. I think that part of the guilt is because... It doesn't always feel like working. Yeah, because you love it. Yeah. So true. Yeah. <laughs> Never thought about that. Yeah, when I go in the shop and I'm like merchandising and stuff, I'm like, oh, like today we had a massive order, two massive orders come in. And then I was kind of like, we processed everything and then I'm rearranging the shop floor and that doesn't really feel like work. And then all of a sudden I looked and I was like, it's half three, I'm meant to be an athlete, I need to go. And I was like, I actually don't even think I had a glass of water, which was like, I just went in and started work, started work. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's probably different. When I was working full-time somewhere, every couple of hours I'd be like, oh, I need to go and get a coffee. Oh, yeah. I need to go to the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go to the kitchen. I don't know why. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> go for a walk. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't really happen anymore yeah. in the same way. You have to make almost like a conscious effort of making those yeah. things happen. Because you do both buying from other brands yeah. and your wholesaling so like talk to me a little bit about how you work with your suppliers the brands that you buy and how do you select them pick things so it's so funny when we talk about suppliers because obviously there's the suppliers with the raw materials which oh, is yes, of course. one kind of relationship and i yeah. think we've obviously worked with some of those people for a really long time and then there's that relationship of working with other brands now We've kind of learned that as we've gone along. So we started at first with a market stall and we were bringing in other independent brands and we were bringing in a lot of products from the US at that point. That was cool. And then we really focused on own brands and our, fo- like, you know, our focus switched to becoming the, the, the maker and, and you know figuring out who our stockists would be and our price points and all of that stuff. And then we really missed the curation element. We really missed that idea of creating a lifestyle and um, sharing the stories of other independent brands. And so when we opened this space, at first the store was actually quite a bit bigger than it is today. Mm. So it was about 50-50 on this floor, studio to store. 
but that store element was designed to be a neutral space between our studio and the studio upstairs. And it was our store, but we wanted it to be a place where other independent brands could host workshops, and it didn't feel like it was all within Earl of East. And then, by nature of this store, you know, there's no real footfall on the street. It's on a back street, very much in the community. Everything is very local to us. So even if the product was made somewhere else, it was designed at the end of the road. And I think had we just kept this location, that would have stayed the same, even Mm. though our inspiration for our own brand is travel. So naturally, we're interested in in a particular aesthetic from all over the world, not just based in our neighbourhood. When we opened Cold Drops, we had to adjust how we were buying. And for the simple reason that that store is a lot higher in terms of foot traffic, yeah, and so working with just artisanal handmade products was never going to work for us because we might order a selection of plates from a ceramicist and they might take two months to get to us. Yeah, And obviously if someone comes in and buys that whole set in a day, which happens more frequently in cold drops, then we would be left with no stock. So we searched then for, for bigger brands, but still with the same ethos, still family-run businesses, still independent, still sustainably made. And that was kind of how we came to work with people like Kinto, with people like Firm Living. And then one of the other things that happened with this space a lot is this space got a lot of interesting press. So it was listed in Vogue Paris as a must-visit oh, destination. Wow. And I think because it's so hidden, that was part of its beauty. It was so off the beaten track that if anyone found it, they would tell their friends about it. And it was like a member-get-member thing. And every time they had a different family member or a different friend in town, they would bring them. Always did quite well with press. And I think then we used to get independent makers or independent brands from different places, like SQA, who are from Belgium, would come in and be like, we'd love to work with you. That's nice. Which was nice. But in this store, that didn't make sense. Yeah. So when we had cold drops, it allowed us to really like play on that and kind of build, start working with other independents from a broader spectrum. I think also coming back to your question about how we pick who to work with, I think it's um same with our approach and, you know, hosting workshops and running our business. It's always very human-centric. For the most part, we know the people on the other end of the, you know, whoever is making the product, designing the product, manufacturing the product. As Paul said, for the most part, people will come through the door as customers, um, as customers and then try to... Uh, get into a conversation which really isn't difficult with us about what it is they do um, and before they know it or we know it we end up working together I think that's how we select pieces because you know so many different people make so many beautiful things so but, many yeah I know but it's like the amount of kind of who you cross paths with who is a friend of who who it's more it's, it feels very organic it's not like we, we don't sit down at the at the beginning of of uh, three months before winter and do our Christmas shopping that yeah, maybe we should but that's yeah. not how we operate yeah we don't see ourselves as being seasonal across anything we mm. don't launch Christmas scents and we also don't really have store-wide sales because okay. I, I think that that kind of activity is part of the reason why the high, high street has struggled so much particularly if you're a brand focused on homeware if mm. it's homeware I don't need it right now it's not going to go out of fashion so I'll wait until you're on 50% sale and then I'll buy it and that's why, you know, brands like Habitat and stuff have struggled in, in the last decade. 
I feel like there's few things you do not buy full price no. anymore, like yeah. sofas, beds. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, who buys that yeah, full price? And so we we reward our consumer base. So we don't do company wide sales, but customers have accounts with us. They're registered customers, and then we do like secret sales, or we do a sample sale, and they get early access to it. We do summer parties. Yeah, we did a summer party oh, nice. with the botanist, who's our drinks partner, and they came in and created cocktails based on scents from our line and we had a party which had a 20% discount in store and you know that helps to build that community element of our brand and I think yeah we kind of veered off I think with the buying yeah the buying is about connection in the same way as everything else and I think the one thing that having cold drops has allowed us to do is it's allowed us to buy deeper into brands and if there's a, a thing that I've learned in the past few years it's that when you can only scratch the surface of a brand and only buy a couple of items, it doesn't resonate with the consumer in the mm, same yeah. way. And so when we only had this store, we'd love a brand from like Brooklyn and we'd be like, we're going to get some stuff. But actually, our order needs to be really low. And, you know, when it comes to wholesale, sometimes yeah. you have minimum order values. And, yeah. and as a small independent, you're like, that's a lot of money to invest. But what I've learned from cold drops is that's given us the ability to buy much deeper into a brand. So if, whether that's skincare and we're not just buying a couple of products for yeah. the whole line, or whether it's firm living and we're buying items for every room across textiles and furniture, then the customer is more likely to buy. Yeah, I always say that to yeah. small bit people that I work with and clients and stuff that, you know, your minimum order should really reflect not because you want to force people to buy a yeah. certain amount, but it should reflect a rage that will tell a story because yeah. otherwise it's not going to do well in store. Yeah. And that's why you have a minimum order, not because you want to put all these rules in place. Yeah. It's like a guide. And then if it's someone you really want to collaborate with, be flexible. Yeah. But, you know, having that there is a great way of kind of indicating, well, if you spend £150, at least you will have maybe you know, six or seven SKUs and it could I could send you a little story card of the brand and, you know, it will make sense to your customers. Yeah, and I think that's, that's definitely been learning for us. And so we've probably, I mean, we've not invested in less brands because the amount of brands we work with has grown hugely. The amount of products we have has grown hugely in the last year. But I think what we have done is really focused on that buying deeper into a brand. And I think that that works for consumers because they're like, well, they love this, so mm. it must be or yeah. they love this, so or there's a breadth of it, so I can buy lots of different items because I like it too. And I think coming back to what you said about the minimum order value, that's something we've had to, you know, learn along the way. Like we've never had really high minimums, but it's tricky sometimes when you start working with a breadth of retailers from the bigger high street retailers to the smaller retailers. Because yeah. then you need to adapt that. Yeah. And I think this year has been quite interesting for us because we've changed everything so we're in the middle of changing all of our labeling but we've also changed how we package everything so we're a glass product and one of the things that was always a challenge for us with wholesale is how we package that and make sure it it arrives undamaged and so we were using bubble wrap and hated using it but couldn't figure out an alternative because every time we tried the product would get damaged and that's not feasible as a business but this year we've had custom boxes built that mean you can remove bubble wrap almost completely that's nice. And that's rolling out now. But the challenge with that has been that to make that efficient as we grow, we've had to change the minimums and be like, 
they come in pack sizes now. Yeah. And in the most part, most of our, I would say 99% of our stockists have been really supportive of that because they see the benefit. But it has been hard with some of the, like, the smaller yeah. independents because they're like, well, before I could just buy four of this and four of that and I want to have a breadth of scent. And that's, that's been quite yeah. challenging because it's like, well, how do we approach that while still making sure that it's feasible yeah. for us in terms of how we produce? Because you really want to make it work with every account, right? Because yeah. they've been there from the beginning or you really like working with them. But at one point, do you make a conscious decision to go like, no, we can't actually because it just adds so much more yeah. processing time on our end that by the time you receive it, it's kind of yeah. just in order for the sake of it. And at what point do you basically make a business-minded decision uh, instead of a, you know... An emotional a hard yeah. one. And that is it difficult. Is That's a hard lesson to learn. so hard. It's so difficult. And it's really hard sometimes to kind of explain mm-hmm. why you now have yeah. to do pack sizes. Yeah. Because it makes complete sense. Yeah. But, you know, for a small independent, then all of a sudden have to buy much more, twice as much, yeah. for example, it might not necessarily make sense because they they think well in my shop if i were to pack four or eight it wouldn't make any difference yeah but actually when you have a workshop it makes a big difference uh it's it's tricky but like i said i think the majority of stockists have got it and actually the majority of stockists are really pleased we're removing bubble that yeah and so are we and i think yeah it's just been it's been really interesting this year i think since opening the cold drop store that's like another marker in the same way that opening this building was or that releasing the book has been. <laughs> opening that store, all of a sudden things that weren't important before or that could be pushed down the packing order of to-dos mattered. Mm-hmm. So things like changing or having an EPOS system that allowed us to transfer stock between stores. Yeah. But that also meant that we went from having maybe 10% of our stock online to all of it has been like a huge thing for us because yeah. we would get products in from a lot of the independent brands and be like, do you have photography? And then they'd be like, no. And we'd be like, well, we don't really have a photographer who can shoot everything because that's going to be expensive. And then what do we do? So actually, let's just sell it in the stores. And and then everything was disconnected. So there was iZettle, which was great for payments, but then there was our website and they didn't talk. So it wasn't just a case of uploading them to iZettle. You'd also then have to do it again. Yeah. And so... A lot of the stuff we've done this year has been felt a bit more behind the scenes, but makes us function a lot better and has allowed us, I think, to continue that story of like, you know, like I said, we, as a retail brand, we want to be about experience, but we also want consumer to come into either of our stores and be able to say, do you have that? And if we don't have it in stock, we can check if it's in another store. Yeah. Or if they come and see it, but they're going back up north because they've just been in London for a week and they can go home and look online and it's there. Yeah. And that's like, it's crazy to say those things because they all make complete sense. But when you're growing as a business, you know that they make sense. It's just like, I don't have time to do that. <laughs> I don't even know where to, to start. Yeah. Like, no. How do you make something like that even happen? And I think coming back to what Paul was saying earlier, another reason why we had to start joining this team full time was because suddenly you would see there was actual areas developing in the business which were not just production and selling the candles, it was wholesale, account management, e-coms, retail, and it all just became... Like a Pandora uh, box, yeah. and it still is. I'm and like, if it's... Yeah. yeah. This is the fix. <laughs> oh, no, but now we need to do that and that and that and that. And at one stage, everything has to start talking to each mm-hmm. other because it's yeah. not just... 
it's not okay that it's only in your head, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, but at least now you have something that is much more scalable. Yeah. And you can focus on what you think is important. Yeah. Like having the right products, having the right, you know, experience in store and all that. And for the team as well, like the, the, the disconnect often because things didn't talk would mean we were often all doubling up on the same work because it was like, well, that bit needs to, need to do this and that because they all don't speak. And yeah. it's now the one centralised ecosystem speaks to everything. Yeah. And and it, there's still work to do in terms oh, yeah. of like from the warehouse or from the studio to the store. But we're getting there. It's really moving at the pace now. And, you know, we we brought someone in just to focus on content and photography and uh, and it's great. Like I feel really fortunate to have been able to build it to a point where we can do those things. Because yeah. I think, yeah, it's so exciting. It's so exciting. Like I'm really, really excited by it. And mm. and the sum of all its parts, rather than just one area or another. Which I think because we always did desk jobs before, we were always much more interested in the physical, like doing the workshops, being in the shops, because it was different to what we were doing. Yeah. Whereas now, actually myself i'm really getting very excited about the content creation and the e-commerce and nico is very interested in production and product development and it's kind of like us also finding our own niches within the business which is cool that's so nice and you're probably learning a lot about yourselves yeah because you you, you know you're doing different things yeah and when you do you get lots of brands that contact you that want to work with you I don't think any more than anyone else. It's more about, again, finding the right reasons for stocking brands and working with the right people. Um, and for the most part, I think whenever somebody emails, it always results in something because I think for them to email us, it means they need to like what we do. And I think we're all in that same community. We're all part of the same kind it's of all machinery. About, it's all about connection, yeah. Mm-hmm. So when it's a, a, a brand without... I think it's also the approach. Sometimes, yeah, some, it's the way people approach us. And if there's some kind of connection there, often if that's because they've been in the stores or they know someone who's already working with us. So a lot of the brands are connected. Yeah. And so like when we did the summer party, what was so nice is that there was people there who'd been to some of the early market stalls, but there was also a lot of the people behind the indie brands that we work with. And they all know each other because we're all in that same circuit. Yeah. And I think that that's often, like, I think that was part-timing maybe because you know five six years ago the week and there still is there's always new brands emerging but it really felt like people were focusing on craft at that point again like five or six years ago and i think there's like it's nice we've grown up with a lot of people like anna who we share this building with who leases the upstairs like we met on the same market and a lot of our we don't really we stock in our stores but we don't really overlap that much as businesses but we share a lot of the same stockists yeah and the building becomes a central point for that kind of talkability and a lot of the people we know are the same people Mm -hmm. from market days so we can go weeks without saying anything other than hello to Anna upstairs but actually like people in the business are best friends like it's all it's not just her story is part of our story yeah I like to believe vice versa like I mention her in every single workshop of mine because you know, we, we we share the same building, yeah, the same home. Yeah. That's amazing. It's nice to have that kind of. Yeah. It becomes like this creative community sort yeah. of yeah. thing, which is really nice. One of the companies I work for, 
they were in a place called Pensai Studios outside Greenwich, where there's like all these artist yeah. studios. And I think all the different studios, they work together, they collaborate. Yeah. It's nice. And that's got to work, I think, as businesses. So I think what we realised as individual businesses is that whilst there's a cross-pollination in our stockists, our products are very different. And I think our core customers overlap, but are quite different people. Does mm. that make sense? Yeah. So there's some people who meet in the middle. And I think our vision when we first took this building on is that maybe we would work together more. And the reality is... We haven't really that much and in this store we don't stock that much of Karna because if people are coming here they want to go to her studio. Yeah. And and I totally get that. And but if we stock more of it at King's Cross because it's part of our story. Yeah. So it's really yeah, it's really interesting. And yeah, it's cool. So how do you bring this community element to your stockists? Because that must be a challenge to make that translate mm. into someone else's story yeah i think wherever we can we host workshops with um, our stockists as well we're going up to map stores which is outside of london um we've been to residence store in Froome. we yeah, we've hosted workshops in japan in lisbon we're going to zurich so wherever we can um we will always go to bring the brand alive and like you know talk about it and even when we're just in cities or in towns where we know we have stockists, we will, of course, drop by to say hi yeah. and and meet the people in real life. Do you know what else I think it is? I think things like social have been really interesting in a, a way of telling stories. And it's something that the small brands who've been around for the last up to eight years since Instagram yeah. first started <laughs> have been able to do that much better than bigger brands. And I think, well, we don't have the biggest following but the following we have follow us because we tell the story. So we tell the story of our travels and our trips and where we go to. We share stories of inside the studio whilst we're doing workshops. And if you're a brand that's been around for a lot longer, doing that kind of behind the scenes thing when you're a massive brand doesn't work. But I think what it's really good for is those stockists who are at the opposite end of the country or are in a different place, they can learn about you if you share your story yeah. rather than just like you know I think sometimes some some of the kind of small emerging new brands they come out and they're like okay it's got to be perfect I've got to have the perfect line sheet I've got to have a lookbook I've got my Instagram feed has to look so curated and every bit has got to be like this is the perfect image of my product in like an amazing house this is the perfect image of my product being used by the most be- beautiful person and then it's like I know the reason for that is because that's how we've been trained. That's what editorial should look like. But actually, what people really want is to be on that journey with you, which often means that they're seeing photography that you've shot yourself yeah, and that you've made typos and copy, but you've wrote a huge story and actually misspelled half of it. I think that's part of the beauty of Instagram for small independent brands. And I think where some of them not go wrong because it's individual to each business, but for me personally that idea of community with independent brands where I don't connect with a brand is they'll be like, hey, we're really interested in working with you. And then I look at their Instagram feed and everything is so slick. Yeah. And there's there's no context. It's just beautiful images. And, and I'm like, it's product shop. Yeah, there's no lifestyle there. I don't know who I'm buying into. I don't know if you're making it. And often the way it looks, whether it is or not, is it looks like I'm, I'm 
a designer and I've designed this product for actually it being mass produced somewhere. Yeah, because, that's, because it's so good. Yeah, because it's so <laughs> slick. And I think, you know, over time, obviously, we've been able to invest in better photography and stuff, but we still post pictures that shot by ourselves in our studio on the day. And I think stories is great for that yeah. too. You know, some people I uh, know have very, because they are actually good at photography, yeah. you know, and they their feed looks very nice, but then they share more of them their behind the scenes yeah. on their stories because that doesn't disrupt their feed. I think that's, the, yeah, I think that's the thing. It's whether it's stories, whether it's IGTV, whether it's within your feed, it's just yeah. sharing that story because yeah. I personally think that the text is as important yeah, I think what what you mean by all of this is that human element that yeah. you know there is another set pair of hands that are creating this, writing this, doing this, and you know are going through the same challenges that you are. And I yeah. think that's all you need. That that's already enough to bring people together. I think it's amazing how it, social media has brought people together. It can be used for not you know selling and stuff, but. You know, the best part of it is the fact that, you know, if you're having a rubbish day and you go on your stories and you said, oh, I messed up, I just made this whole batch of this and it's completely <laughs> yeah. wrong and people kind of like cheer you on. And, yeah. You know, they connect more with that yeah. than if you just give them your highlights. I agree. Yeah, I also think social's been really good at um, surfacing similarities between people. So if I think about the guys in Japan, so Parker in Japan, we're so similar in terms of our aesthetic and also in terms of our approach. Like Josuke and the guys, like their their approach to everything they do is the same as how we approach our stores, the same as how we approach the market. And and so when we've worked together, we're actually very similar, and we met each other because of Instagram. So how many stockists do you have now? Oh, the amount of stockists we have at the minute, I think, are between two hundred twenty to three two hundred and forty stockists. Um, worldwide and you know Victoria is doing a really good job and looking after each one of them and sustaining the business and adding new ones to to it today I know she she um, just signed a deal with a new stockist you won't know that yet in Australia oh. first stock is yeah. in Australia. <laughs> that's and exciting I know and our first stock is in Iceland yeah Oh, that's markets. really cool <laughs> but the scale of, you know the scale of them varies massively I don't, I don't think I'm speaking out of turn when I say that the ones that matter the most are the indies who've got a similar start. And it, I don't mean matter the most. I, I don't know how to phrase it without it sounding negative because it isn't. Probably more personal when you know they're on the same path as you. And when you know sometimes that business, like Map Stores, for example, has started out and they really love your product and they've bought it before they own their own store. And they're the shopkeeper, the social media person, the buyer, the accountant. (laughs) I think that feels a little bit different. But then on the flip side, some of the bigger retailers we've worked with, we've built really great relationships with. You love working with anthropology, the fact that, you know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think, again, both of those bigger businesses, I think what makes them so special in this big arena of retailers is that they put humans first. They will come here, they will meet us, they would look at how we produce, and then they place orders, and then... I don't know, it feels like an ongoing dialogue. It's just so nice to be able to have that. Do you get your buyers to come here and make candles? 
Uh, we've invited a few in. Yeah, they attend workshops. They get treated exactly like our workshop guests. Yeah. They don't yeah. get special... Uh, special. Yeah, because help. I think, as a retailer, if they came to a workshop and saw it, that would be really valuable yeah, when, they want, when they're talking to their yeah. customers about it. Yeah, and we've been asked a few times. So in the Cold Rock Yard store, as you've seen here, we have a store at the front with a glass wall. So even when the door's shut, people can see the studio. When we opened Cold Drops, we didn't want to lose that element. So we put in the pouring room so that we could produce candles on site so we're not shipping them across town. Granted, there are times when we're low on stock where we still do that. <laughs> yeah. But the aim was also for people to be able to see how things were being made, for us to be able to host workshops. And we've been asked by big stores to do that in their places. And it's something we really want to do. Like, you know, I would love to have a department store concession where we have that concept. That would be amazing. Have you heard of Curated Makers? No. So Megan, who ran Curated Makers, she's just in M&S in Liverpool now. Wow. And she has 40 makers yeah. in her pop-up. Yeah. And uh, she has every, most days she has some maker in yeah. making something live. So that could be a jewellery maker yeah. or whatever. And she was in Paper Chase before this. So nice, and it's quite different, mm, but yeah. it's bringing those like smaller brands to the high street, and I think we really need that. Yeah, I agree. I think there's lots of examples like We Built the City. I love um, City. great because it was like you know, you used to go down Carnaby Street, and there was all the like Union Jack flags and tacky gift shops, into yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, interspersed with brands like Ben Sherman and, and things like that, so it was playing on its heritage, but then there was these shops that didn't really stand for anything to do with British culture or the heritage of Carnaby Street and I think what they did was really clever where they started working with independents who were making in London and presented a gift shop to people who were shopping but it was things that were made by people here not things that were actually mass produced in China of low quality cheap for like you know oh I forgot to buy someone something he's a union jack rubber but actually something that was made by someone that mattered yeah and I, and I think like that was great and it was so good to see and we we worked with those guys and, and I think it's so great to see that concept and I think just generally like we talk about the high street and retail all the time in the stores and and we speak to every customer so every customer gets the full like spiel from us and our, you know, everyone on the team is really adamant that we, we tell the stories of the brands we work with. And in the most part, people love it. And we get so many, so much feedback that's really positive about, mm. like, I came into your store and I had the best customer experience and, and you know, X, Y, and Z. Every now and then you'll be in and you can tell people, don't get it. It's that customer yeah. who's like, hand in your face, I'm not interested, I don't want to speak to you, I'm just browsing. And it's like, can you say hello to someone? Weirdest responses, I'm just browsing. It's like, I actually <laughs> yeah. just said hello. But, you know, <laughs> and, and we've all done it, right? Yeah, we've, I'm sure I'm guilty yeah. of it. I'm sure. We've, we've all done it. But I think with us, our team will then be like, would you like a glass of water? Let me tell you about this brand. And even some of those reluctant people leave and they're like, Oh, I didn't. I mean, I definitely wasn't planning on buying anything, but I've loved that whole experience. Yeah. And on the very rare occasion where people don't, I'm always like, well, they're not our customer. And they're the first people to complain about the death of their local high street. But, you know, that's part of the reason. Yeah. yeah. And I think the future of the high street is more about specialism. And I think that's why we're in quite a good position because we've got our own brand products. We make them on site and see that process. But also our buying ethos is around connection. Yeah. And so we want to share the stories of other brands. So it's not about a silent transaction. Because you can have a silent transaction online 
and you can have the best content creators on your website and create beautiful content, which I think for e-commerce is very important, yeah. but you can never replicate a one-on-one con- like conversation. No. And so that's why people will continue to go to the high street. And I think Coldrops is approaching a year old. And, and I think what's beautiful about that development is that that's kind of its focus. Yeah, I yeah. love it. It's just a feeling when you go there, isn't yeah. there? That it's not about that fast consumerism yeah. in the same way. And I think that you have really have to... The only thing we can do differently in a brick and mortar shop is the experience. Yeah. That's the only thing. That, yeah. You know, so that needs to be the focus. It's, of course, the products and that makes a part of it. But I think that actually even more the experience yeah. makes a part when, when we decided to open up a shop and, and start this and take it serious as a business, I think the one thing that we both agreed on from the get-go was that we wanted to create a space that um, no matter who you are, you would be able to come in and feel comfortable and feel like you can ask questions and touch things and look around. Because I think as a customer, from my perspective, the one thing I've always hated or struggled with was coming into a space and not being able to, I don't know, talk and touch things. And it, I always felt intimidated in certain spaces. And I, that was definitely the one thing we didn't want to achieve. So that's why the coffee counter, that's why we have like, we approach you, we talk to you about anything, not just the products and everything we have in store. Um, and I think that was always very important. And I think that warmth really comes through in every single team member that we have in King's Cross. Or how did the, you know, you're with your stockists. Is that, how does those relationships come up? You know, how do you, how do you approach them, basically, I suppose? Because... Mm-hmm. You know, do you come up from it from a similar standpoint as you do your retail customers? So what do, how do you approach them? How has, how has it come to grow? I think in the most part, stockists have approached us. Okay. I think in the early days, that was because Nico and I, there's been things that have really played in our favour because we've had other jobs. So becoming known for a few cents, part of the reason for that was we just didn't have the capacity to be creating a scent every two minutes. Yeah. So we had three scents in two sizes and it was that way for a year and a half, but we became known for them. I think when it comes to wholesale, before we had Victoria on our team, we could only be reactive. So we would, you know, we had a list of stockists we wanted to work with, but the bigger ones, we were never going to be able to go and do a show and tell in their store. We weren't doing trade fairs. Because we had full-time day jobs. Yeah. And on the occasions where we did, like with Selfridges, it was like a mad dash during our lunch break. And then, you know, <laughs> which was crazy. And I think, but that also was quite good because you've naturally vetted people because the people who, vetted sounds awful, but the people who approach you are interested in your brand rather than you cold calling. Absolutely. And I think over time, that's become key. I think, you know, we do approach stockists we want to work with now, but we're still not really aggressive. And I think I don't really want us to be because I want the brands and the stockists and the stores and the, you know, the brands we collaborate with or whatever to be people who know about our business and know the story and have synergies. And when they don't, sometimes, you know, you can really tell. I also don't think it's sell then, you know. I think you can really tell too if you go into a store, just go into a store. Yeah. You know, you can really see that in the sales because I think people have to talk 
to their customers about your story to yeah. sell your product. Yeah. There's so many candles and yeah. fragrance oh anything, products. Anything. I think it even starts with the merchandising. Mm. You, if you love something, if you if you bought it because you actually want it for yourself, you will already. And it isn't just to do with a candle that we make or anything else that anyone else makes. I think it's just like it arrives and you open up those boxes and you're like, oh my God, this arrived. Because you've invested in it and you loved it. You know, that's the reason why we don't really do sale or return. It's not because sometimes the stores aren't stores we want to work with. It's just because when people are not buying the product, I think the the transaction element is a bit different and the care you may be putting to is quite different. And that's not always the case. Because as a retailer, sometimes there are brands, like, you know, when we took on the space in Cold Rocks, friends of ours from within our community helped us out because we would put everything into that space and they were like, we will stock you and then you can work on sale or return. And that yeah. was amazing. And, and that happened because we built a community around yeah. the business. But I think, you know, we get asked a lot to be part of this pop-up and that pop-up. You know, this is how much money I'm going to charge you for the space. This is how much money I'm going to charge you for staffing it. This is the commission. And it gets to a point where you're like, look, your own brand is obviously going to take precedent. If you've got a customer coming in there and they don't know what they want to buy and you're a, a jewellery designer hosting a pop-up or a furniture maker, or that's what you're going to focus on, and rightly so. But that's not a reason for me to want to be part of this pop-up. And I think where they really work, if I think of pop-ups that have been good that I really loved is where it's actually a free meeting of minds and it's a community of people. That's what I love about Megan's um, pop-up yeah. is that she she selects the brands she wants, yeah. makers and stuff and she's tried to, so she's in Liverpool she tries to get Liverpool makers mm-hmm. and like northern makers yeah. so she's not a maker herself so she will sell all <coughs> the brands yeah. equally, you know yeah. because she's not got that one thing and I think What's nice <coughs> with pop-ups generally is when you see them as a collective. I keep pointing upstairs because I think Anna is quite good at that. Whenever she does a pop-up, it tends to be with people that she would naturally work with or be sat alongside. And I think they tend to work together on the yeah. space. And when you talk to your friend, you know, when you're selling your friend's products, completely different. Yeah, than, you totally. Know. I mean, you talk about, I, I know, whenever I'm in Kingsborough, so out the front here and I'm talking about a product that, I know exactly who made it, and I, and I don't know them just because they're the artist. I know them because I know the person behind it. I, I feel like you have about everything with so much more confidence because mm. you know who they are, where they live, what they do, <laughs> even what their favorite meal is. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It gives you like that 360 yeah. view. I completely agree. So what what's next for you now when you're both working in this full time? <laughs> what, what is your next plan get, apart from getting through Christmas <laughs> I mean getting through Christmas number one but I think that like year five so I think year, approaching year five at the end of this month like a massive milestone I feel like it feels like we're growing up a little bit I also think or know that this is when it gets really hard mm-hmm. so I think us being in the business is to kind of be in it and be on top of it it's not like oh you know we've got to five years now we can like retire from our day jobs and have an easy life which I, I think, wish which I think <laughs> Which I think is how a lot of people, yeah. when I told work that I was leaving, a lot of them were like, oh, yeah, great, you've made enough money. Like, the, yeah. the, the perception is very different to the reality. But I think for us, it comes back to what I said at the beginning, we see ourselves as a creative business. We don't see ourselves as a candle brand. 
and know that that's how a lot of consumers view us and know that that's how I've spoken about our business before because sometimes it's just easier but we have ambitions to do lots of different things and that's why there's all we've always been pretty multifaceted we've always done workshops we've always had wholesale we've always had a retail side of our business and we you know when we opened this studio we still did regular market stores and we see all of those pieces working together I think in terms of product we're about to launch hand wash and hand balm and, and those things are super exciting. Yeah. And they're part of our Japanese inspired line and which we released last September and has actually been really successful. Was that after you travelled to Japan? Um, no, it's the first time that it was before. Oh so, really? But it's a different product. So we core line, we yeah. call it our core line, it's based on a different space or place we've travelled to. So it's very emotive memory with the japanese inspired line we'd actually planned to go before we released it and then this business just got too busy but the whole inspiration was quite different in that it wasn't our feeling from being there but it was a deeper delve into something so we focused on the whole concept of ritual over routine and you know the art of shimanyaku the art of going to an onsen together as a family and so we've done a lot of kind of research into that beforehand and then the plan was to go before we released the product but we kind of had a vision of what it would be and then it didn't happen so this time we launched the candles the bath salts and the essential oil blends but then having been to japan it's inspired all of the other products so we have neramai which is a sleep spray which is cool we're about to launch a shower mist oh what's a shower mist Um, shower mist is basically an aromatherapy mist that you use um to I guess to help you wake up and to refresh you. Yeah. So you would use it in the shower. You you use the spray in the shower once you've turned your hot water on, and then the essentials get carried up by the steam of the hot water and kind of it creates like a nice little aromatherapy moment in the morning, rather than mm-hmm. always focus on sleep, sleep, sleep. Yeah. sleep. Yeah, yeah. And I know we need to all sleep, but we also need, need to, to wake, wake up. up. Yeah, we yeah. do. <laughs> Can't get anything done otherwise. <laughs> um, I think more pop ups. So not pop-ups in the sense of doing short-term things, but we're opening Islington, which we have until the end of January. We're focusing that space on homeware. So the idea is around the Earl's home, which is something we post about online, which is our house. But actually it's just being a modern edit on homeware in this space. We will go back to Japan next year. We also are hopeful that we can do something in Paris next year. So when we were in Paris to go to Maison, part of the reason we were there was not to decide whether or not to do Maison but actually to figure out what it would be like if we did a, a space there during, like a pop-up yeah. sort of thing yeah you know every buyer goes to Maison oh, but they also go and spend a day in Paris and I think we, we because we have this retail side of our business and we have yeah. this experience side of our business I would rather invest in creating a space than invest in a really expensive wooden box for four days. <laughs> and they can come there and make a candle after they walk the show the whole day. Yeah, and, you know, and for us also, it means that we can do the, the B2C. We can yeah. meet customers, we can build that community around our brand. Like I think that's, if there's a dream for this business, it's to do what we've, hopefully, we feel we've done in London, but do it in different markets. So replicate that grassroots business in Japan, in France, in the US. And so, you know, we're not there yet with it, but that's kind of the ambition. That would be so exciting. And like, just to kind of get to live those cultures a bit yeah. with it. A bit like all press, you know. They, you know, we work with all press. Uh, 
our roaster for both of our coffee mm. shops. But they have the roastery, roastery in Dalston, but then when we were in Japan, they have the roastery there, which supplies all of their Japanese stockists. And I think I love the idea of being able to create a studio like this somewhere yeah. in Tokyo. Be amazing. Yeah. And not have to ship everything, yeah. but actually have like a local element to yeah. it. And be there and have a space that people can come in and be part of. And, you know, that's maybe quite ambitious, but I think that's, that's kind of our dream. Have to dream. Yeah. You have that to work towards. Yeah. And also, like, you know, I think the other, like, what's next is actually just being in the business. I think <laughs> everybody who works here has been used to us as WhatsApp managers, maybe. <laughs> and I think um, what's been nice is I think I've become a lot calmer in the last couple of weeks. Um, and I actually just enjoying, like, being in the business and getting to know everyone properly. Yeah. And then what else like other product like there's so many things we want to do there's so many different things we want to do and that's the beauty about it being our own business is that we can decide if we make them happen or not yeah i guess in a way you could micromanage less by being in your business rather than not being there and all constantly worrying and wondering yeah. about things yeah 100%. and we know you know we know we've got a really great team like we we've, we've always said that and um, but i think we and Coming from like advertising and media, the demands and the expectations in that industry are quite high, and I think we've always been like that. Mm. I think being in the business, what I'm starting to realise is that it's not normal to just be thinking about something nonstop. Yeah, so it's getting to that mindset <laughs> of being like, you know, I, I don't know. It's 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 cool. It's a it's a really exciting time, and I think it'll be just fun to see where it goes in just a few years. Yeah, it will be exciting to follow along. So finally, can you tell me oh, or share a business, another business that you feel is kind of doing something that you admire, someone that is just out a shout out? Yeah, I think Paul already mentioned All Press, definitely a business we, we really look up to and admire. Um, and then mm-hmm. I have to say, uh, Courier Magazine, oh, yeah. We, yeah. We, uh, and it, it's not just us that love Courier Magazine, I think selling it and still working with the guys behind it on various projects and things shows you how how much attention they pay to their community and how they get paid back for it yeah and um, on the other end you know people come in the the day the magazine drops and buy they buy the magazine yeah they come specifically to pick up a career um issue which is amazing and i think again you know having worked with them on just the, the usual stuff but also like on their on the career life events and on bigger projects, it's just nice how again they're very human centric, and I and I just like that about them. I just bought one. Oh, they're great. <laughs> they've been as a team and with us, they've been so supportive. But what I love is every time I look through it, there's people that there are people in there that we know. Yeah. And and what I mean by that is I think they are really focused on like the community element, and the reason we know them is you know they're based in Shoreditch and. And whilst they've changed a lot as a title and they've become more global and less local, so they now have the London paper, which yeah. they, they distribute. I think it's just been amazing to watch their journey and how much they've grown in a short space of time and in a difficult industry. Such a difficult, yeah. I mean, printing price. Yeah. Difficult. Yeah. But it shows you that if you pay attention. Yeah, that's true. I think yeah, this is the, uh, the issue that, Vicky from Mean Mail, yeah. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. yeah, and she's great. She's yeah. really great. There's also Teresa Foglia, who's a hat maker now. 
Milner, um, but she Milner. M- Milner. Yeah, I think yeah. so. But she um. So is that what a hitmaker's called? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't so, know that. So I'm like, did you get married? <laughs> no. <laughs> so yeah. So Teresa actually has been very integral to our journey, and she's American, based in Brooklyn, but has had an interesting journey. She was a when we met her, she was in London, passed by our market stall, recognised some of the American brands, ended up connecting us to someone who's now a really good friend based in the US, who through that person we've made a, a whole group of, of kind of lifelong friendships. And then a few years ago, she decided she didn't want to just have her social media agency, took herself off travelling, learned how to make hats, went back to Brooklyn, took a space in Industry City, which is becoming a destination now, but was very off the beaten track, and, and has just blown up in the last few months, which has been incredible to see, and so deserving, right? She's such a warm, open character. She um, She's from the West Coast originally, and she went and did a pop-up in Malibu, and now her hats are being worn by all kinds of people, and, it, and she's done a big, there's a big feature on her in current issues. I love that. So <laughs> Because honestly, a lot of our journey probably wouldn't have happened had it not been for that day. And and true, yeah. And I think that that's the thing. Like every issue, there's someone in there where I read about them, and I'm like, oh, it's so amazing to see where they're going, they're doing now. And, and you know, often might know that anyway. But yeah. it's nice to just see how they tell the stories of those people rather than like this person raised ten million dollars by a PC because it's like, how well, do I do that? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I I think that's what really like why I really wanted to do this too because you know, it's all about the people that are actually doing it not just like going after millions yeah. or growing their business six figures in six months and <laughs> yeah, <laughs> sort yeah. of thing yeah. uh, you know I, that doesn't really inspire me it doesn't yeah. really connect with me it's just hard because you can't see how you're going to get there yeah. and it's not that I don't look at that and think god one day that's where I want to be yeah. it's just like those stories feel very far away yeah. from where you are when you're starting out. And I think part of the reason why they, Korea has built such a strong community is because they give people those stepping stones. Yeah. So someone can be like, I want to start my own candle business. And they read about how we started on a market stall. Or I want to start my own card business. And then yeah. read Vicky's story. And it feels in some way attainable. Yeah. And I think that's something they really recognised, which is amazing. Yeah. So, how can our listeners find you guys? I'm in. Uh, I mean, <laughs> you can. <laughs> uh, so you can find us in store. And you should definitely come and visit us. And um, so we are, have our two locations. One is a few minutes from London Fields Overground. Come here because it's our main studio and it's off the beaten track. You should also come and visit us at Cold Rock Shards. Um, and then you can find us online at. EarlofEast.com and then Instagram. We like chatting on Instagram, so yeah, feel free um, to drop us in. Uh, there's two, so. <laughs> two to choose from. <laughs> two. Um, Earl of East London is the, the brand, so that one isn't a business profile, it's not transactional, it's a lot of travel and workshops and a bit of behind the scenes and, and our home and that kind of thing. And then Earl of East is the retail side of things. So that one is more about sharing yeah. store, what you can buy with us, or you know, yeah. what you can find on the internet. And yes. we purposefully have one that's transactional and one that isn't. 
That's nice. Yeah. That's really good. Thank you so much. I could go on, but yeah, I, well, <laughs> I think you. this episode is going to be fairly long now. So thank so you sorry. so much. <laughs> no, I, I think it's so interesting. So thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you so much to Nico and Paul for coming on the show. I really, really loved visiting your beautiful workshop and chatting all things retail. Remember to enter the giveaway to win Paul and Nico's book. And as we're coming into the busiest time of the year, I really hope that you remember to enjoy the business that you are building. Just for a few moments every day, enjoy what you are creating rather than just rushing, rushing, rushing. And I will be back next week where I will be talking to a shop owner in South London and I really look forward to seeing you then. Have a great week.